let, let, me, let me explain maybe a couple of things or at least one thing before we get into this passage of Scripture. Um, we're just going to focus on God tonight in the, in the message. That's just what it's going to be about. Just going to give you a description of who He is. Um, let me kind of frame it like this. I want you to picture in your mind whenever Jesus was in the garden and He was praying, alright? And He was praying to the Father and He said to the Father, He said basically, if, if there is another way, alright, let this cup pass from Me. In other words, it, it wasn't that Jesus feared the Roman soldiers. It wasn't that He feared the religious leaders. That, that wasn't it at all. It wasn't that He feared the cross even. But Jesus knew that He was about to do something that He had never done before. And that was that He was about to take the punishment for the sins of the world. Right? So He was going to drink of that cup. And so He says to His Father, He says, If there be another way, then let's do it. But then He turns around and says, But not my will, your will be done. Alright, now I want you to hold that in your mind. And then I want you to think about your children. And I want you to think about, let's just say you have a son. And your son is in a desperate situation. And your son looks at you and he cries out for help. And, and you probably as a parent, you would do anything within your power to give him exactly what he needed and what he wanted at that moment. Would you not? I mean, I know that I would for my son or my children or my daughters. And yet here Jesus is looking up at the Father and He's saying, If there's another way, let this cup pass from me. But He says, Not my will, but your will be done. And God would look down upon Jesus at that moment and say this, My will is to crush you so that those sinners could go free. That's exactly, that's biblical. Because it pleased the Father to bruise Him. It pleased the Father to crush Him. That is a biblical statement. And so you've got Jesus crying out in agony to God that if there's another way to do it that way, but let God's will be done. And God's will is that He would look down at His Son and say, I'm going to crush you so that wicked men can be saved. I can't understand that kind of love. It's hard for me to even fathom looking down upon my son and saying, I'm going to crush you so that Brother George could be saved. And yet, that's the God that we have gathered to serve. That's the God that we have gathered to worship. And so for just the next couple of seconds, let's just pray to this God who crushed His own son so that you and I could be saved. Let's just pray to Him like He's really there. Like it's not just some words coming out of our mouth. But like He's really there. And He's really listening. And He really is a God who loves like that. So if you don't mind, just join me for a minute. In praying and asking God to do whatever He wants to do in our lives. And most importantly, to exalt His name tonight. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to You recognizing that You are a glorious God. Father, recognizing that You are a real, genuine, holy God who deserves every accolade that we could ever give to You. Lord, do You deserve to be 
honored. You deserve to be worshipped. You deserve our attention. You deserve our heart. You deserve our hands. You deserve our feet. You deserve our language. You deserve our mind. You deserve our soul. You deserve everything that we are because you have created us. You have fashioned us together that we might worship your holy name. So God, we exalt you tonight. Father, we thank you tonight that you crushed your son so that we could go free of our sin debt so God we pray that you would help us honor you tonight by giving ourselves completely and totally to you in Jesus name we pray amen let me let me say this to you as a way of introduction to this sermon I believe what we have in America is a crisis of identity let me tell you what I mean by that I believe that we in America have um, forgotten who God is. We have fabricated a God who looks like us, talks like us, walks like us, acts like us. And we've done that in an effort to be able to do what we want to do and feel good about ourselves. And what we need to do, if we're ever going to have revival in our churches, we need to get back to discovering who this God is that set us free of our sin. Because see, you can spend your life worshiping the wrong God and think that you're doing good, but you're not doing good according to a holy and righteous and perfect omnipotent God. And so tonight what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at one of the attributes of God so that maybe we can rediscover who this God is that we're supposed to be serving. This Jehovah God who crushed His Son so that we could be saved. And so tonight I want us to take a look at the self-sufficiency of God. And I'm going to explain what that is so you just pay close attention. Let me give you a quote from A.W. Tozer to kind of start out the, the message. He says this, Almighty God, just because He is Almighty, needs no support. Alright, you got that? I'm going to just say that again real quick. Almighty God, just because He's Almighty, He needs no support. The picture of a nervous, ingratiating God fawning over men to win their favor is not a pleasant one. Yet if we look at the popular conception of God, that is precisely what we see. 20th century Christianity has put God on charity. Like He needs us. We're so lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it easy to believe that we are necessary to God. But the truth is that God is not greater for our being, nor is He less if we did not exist. Now see what A.W. Tozer was simply trying to point out through that particular quote is this. You and I have shaped God, boxed God in, and lived our lives as if God has to have us to do His work. And the truth is that God does not have to have us to do anything. 
He is a self-sufficient God who is almighty, who needs nobody to accomplish whatever He wants to accomplish. And see, we, are, we have fabricated a God that's sitting up there in heaven and He's looking down upon us and He's going, Oh my goodness, if Brother Casey doesn't do it, I don't know how it's going to get done. I need Him so bad to do what I need Him to do. And if He doesn't do it, then I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm God, but I'm in trouble because humans won't do what I want them to do. I need them so bad. That's what we fabricated in our minds. But that's not the God that we serve at all. That's not the picture that we see in Scripture about this glorious, righteous, holy God. And listen, if everybody truly saw God for who He is, this place would be full and they'd be lined up out the doors wanting to worship Him. And so maybe tonight we can just get a picture of this self-sufficient God so that maybe even our worship would be even better than what it is right now. So what is the self-sufficiency of God? What does it mean? Let me just give you the meaning of it. God does not need us or any part of His creation to sustain Himself. In other words, God doesn't need you to exist. He is a self Sufficient God. There is, there is another word. It's also called the self-existence of God. Now, it, it's, a, it's a, a theological word that describes that. It's called the aseity of God. And I realize you probably don't even care about that word. But you need to know what it means. Because the aseity of God comes from two Latin words. A and C, obviously. And it simply means this. He's from Himself. In other words, God was not created by anything else. He's from Himself. He is a self-existent God. When you look in Scripture, you're going to see that. This passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 17, verse number 24 or 22 through 25 shows us that. Let me, let me read it to you. Everybody picking up what I'm putting down? Say Amen. Alright, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Boy, we got some very religious people in our churches, don't we? We got some very religious people in the world out there. Well, Paul is standing in the midst of all of these, listen to me, all of these pagans, pagans, false God worshipers. And he says, I can see you're very religious. Everybody look at me real good. I want you to pay close attention. Just because a person uses religious language doesn't mean they're saved. See, you can be religious and your religion take you straight to hell. See, Paul is walking in the midst of all of this religion. And he says, I can see that you're very religious. Now, how did he know that? Here's how. For as I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship... I even found an altar with an inscription to the unknown God. So Paul is walking through Athens and what he's seeing is all these images that they've gathered together and they've made and fabricated for them to worship. They had thousands of gods that they could, they could worship. You just pick one and you can worship that one. That's what we got going on in America today. Even though we don't see these carved images on every hillside, what we've decided to do is, if I think God's supposed to be like this, then that's the way I think He is. And if you think He's supposed to be like this, then you think He's like that. And so what's happening is, we're worshiping in the same manner that they're worshiping. you got your God according to how you think. He has His God according to how He, he thinks. And so on and so forth. So it's the same thing. We're religious people. That's why people can say they can go blatantly against Scripture. Against the Word of God. 
and say, well, God didn't really mean that or that's not the God I've served. I've heard people say things that were in Scripture and are very clear and they would say, well, that's not the God that I'm serving and I'm going, it sure isn't. It sure isn't. Because if He is the one that you're serving, you would take heed to His words. Right? So what we've done is we've fabricated gods just like them. And they want to make sure they cover all the bases. And so Paul says, I've even noticed that you've got a statue to an unknown God. In other words, they want to make sure they got all of them. If there's one they miss, they want to make a statue set to the unknown God. Just, just so we'll be clear, we got them all. And so Paul says, listen, I'm going to take advantage of that. And I'm going to explain to you this unknown God who you claim to worship but know not of. And so Paul goes on to explain about this God. He says, Therefore, <clears throat> the one whom you worship without knowing, Him I proclaim to you. And so then he starts to describe God. He said, God, Jehovah, who made the world and everything in it. Now he just said a mouthful right there. Because what he just declared is, there's one God that is higher than all things. Now to them, there were many gods and they're equal in rank. And yet he's saying, no, there's a God that is above all gods, little g. He is the one who created all things. And then he begins to describe him. He says, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, he's the Lord of everything you see and everything in the heavens you cannot see. He's the Lord of it all. So he's, look, he's, he's making a beeline for one God. Monotheism, that's what he's making. There's one God, that's it, okay? And that's where he's in the midst of a culture that's believing in a plurality of gods and he's narrowing it down saying, there's not but one, Jack, just one. And he created everything. And then he goes on to say this, He is Lord of heaven and earth and he does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything. Since He's the one that gives to all life, breath, and all things. So He says, hey listen, God doesn't need, God doesn't need your carved images. God doesn't need your buildings. You can't confine Him to a building. He's so much bigger than that. God doesn't need our, uh, our, our praise to be perfect, as Matt was saying a few minutes ago. God doesn't need that. He's perfect without our praise being perfect. We, it, our praise being perfect doesn't make Him more perfect. It doesn't make Him more proud of us if our praise is perfect. He's perfect anyway, in and of Himself. And He's proud of us anyway, even if we mess up. Why? Because we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so He says, He is the God who doesn't need anything since He's the one that gives the life, breath to all things. Psalm 90 verse 2 says this, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now that's glorious because here's what he just said. You are a self-existent God who was not created by anybody. You exist in and of yourself. Plus, there's never been a time, God, when you did not exist. And there's never going to be a time when you're not going to exist. You are an eternal, everlasting God. So tonight... What it simply means to serve a self-sufficient God is to realize 
that He is a God that exists in and of Himself. And there's nothing that you and I can add to Him to make Him greater than what He is. He doesn't need us to do that for Him. He is God. Now listen to me. I want to quote. He is a self-sufficient, self-existent God. And He has to be in order for Him to be God. See, you know what's fascinating to me? Here's what's fascinating to me. I could get up here and preach on works, how you should be better, and how you should strive to do this, and you should do that, and you should do that, and you should do that. And the body of Christ, in most cases, will get more excited about a gospel of works than they will if somebody sits there and explains to them in greater detail the God that they say they're serving. I could tell you, you ought to stop your stinking sin and you ought to get out there and be on fire for Jesus and so on and so forth and you'd clap me down and shout me out the building. You'd be so excited about it. But then I'd get up here and tell you God is such a self-existent God. He's so glorious and there's nothing we could add to Him that would make Him greater than what He is. He's such an everlasting God. And we'd go, that's, that's right. That's the God I know. That's the one. That's the one. See, what happens is because we put too much of an emphasis on our own selves instead of Him. See, we've got to get back to going to Him. See, if you get Him right, it's going to change your character. It's going to change the way you act. It's going to change the way you behave. You don't have to worry about that. It will change the way you act. You will walk out the doors behaving yourself. You will walk out the doors living for Jesus. All that will take care of itself if you get back to understanding who this God is, right? And you really start to soak that up, you'll understand it. So, listen to this. If you, if you, you have to be careful... If you take away the self-sufficiency of God, then He would cease to be who He is. Matter of fact, listen to me. You take away any of the attributes of God and He'll cease to be God. He'll be something else. Alright? So, God is a self-sufficient, self-existent God. He's glorious. He created all things. He's always existed. He's always going to exist. And He doesn't need you to make Him better. Alright? Now, second thing I want you to see. Why is it important to believe in the self-sufficiency of God? Why is that important for us to grab a hold of that nugget and understand that He exists in Himself and of Himself and He doesn't need anybody? Here's why. Two, two reasons. One is from a philosophical, ideological point of view. And I just praise God I was able to get them words out and didn't mess it up. So we got that from... I'm going to try it again. So from those two words, we, this is why. All right? If God isn't self-sufficient, then He was dependent upon something else to create Him. Then that opens up endless possibilities for the origin of God. You got that? So if God doesn't exist in and of Himself, then something else created Him. And if something else created Him, then you and I are worshiping the wrong thing. we got to find out what it was that created Him. Everybody got me? That's why it's important for us to understand and believe that God is a self-existent, self-sufficient God. As a matter of fact, if He's not a self-sufficient God and a self-existent God, then evolution is a real possibility for the origins of the world. Now, I don't believe that because I believe in the self-sufficiency of God. But I'm saying if it's not true and we don't believe that, then we have to admit... 
That evolution is a possibility if He's not a self-sufficient God. So that's the ideological, philosophical perspective. We need to understand it and believe it because of that. Because if we don't, then anybody can say, well, no, there's God, there's God, there's God, and we wouldn't know. Who would know? Everybody can worship a God, and who would know whether He's real or not? The second reason that we need to understand the importance of the self-sufficiency of God is this. From a biblical perspective... From a biblical perspective. Now, in order to understand that, we need to understand Scripture. We need to go back to Scripture. If there's one thing that is authoritative in the believer's life, the Bible says not one jot nor tittle. Alright? Not one jot nor tittle will pass away from the Word of God. So if there's one thing that is authoritative in the believer's life, what is it? I just gave you the answer. It's the Word of God. Pay attention. The Word of God is authoritative in our life. And so if we're going to understand and believe and be able to prove and know the self-sufficiency of God, we've got to look at it from a biblical perspective, wouldn't you say? Because this is God's Word for us. Now look at me. Now I want you to pay attention to me now. It's not a road map to life. It's just, even though there are maps in the back, it's not a road map to life. It's given to us as His Word, His voice to us, that we might see Him for who He is. And He is a self-sufficient God. Listen to this. It's all based on biblical passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says this. Prophecy never came by the will of man. Alright? So, in other words, these guys didn't gather together one day and say, Hey, hey, let's start this program. Alright? This church program. It's called the Deceiver Club. Let's start that. Let's gather around a campfire and sing Kumbaya and make up some stories about this villain by the name of the devil and man being real sinful. And this hero comes on the scene by the name of Jesus and he dies on the cross and he was buried, but he was raised from the grave. Let's put that in there. He was raised from the grave. Let's put that in there. And then let's say something even greater, man, happened than that. He was, he was, when he was raised from the grave, he ascended into heaven. And let's just really give them a gold nugget at the end, guys. And let's tell them He's coming back for them. Let's just lie to them real good. And see how many people will fall for it. That's not what happened. That's not how it happened. Although many secular scholars would tell you that's what happened. They would also tell you that Jesus didn't exist. Many of them. Alright? But listen, the Bible says, Prophecy, the Word of God... It didn't come by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit of the living God. Alright? So so they spoke and they wrote this down. God spoke into their heart. They wrote it down on pieces of papyrus, which is where we get our word for paper. They wrote it down so that you and I could have it for today so that we can understand who God is. So it was given to them by the Spirit of God. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says this. Every word of God is pure. It's pure. Alright, now what that simply means is this. It's perfect. It's good. It's righteous. It's holy. Why? Because it's God's word. And He's righteous. He's holy. And He's pure. So every word is pure. Let me just ask you a question. Let's get down there where you, you can see me. Look at me. How come you don't read it? If it's that good... How come you only read it on Sunday when the preacher opens it? How you like me now? Listen to me. 
shame on all of us. All of us. Because the Word of God should be near and dear to our hearts. I don't know how many of you have got Facebook. Some of you may not. Many of you probably do. Have you, how many of you have seen that clip? It looks like it's some Chinese people. I'm not sure Chinese or Korean or something, but you've seen that clip to where they open that box and they just received Bibles for the first time ever. How many of you saw that clip? Is that not amazing? They start weeping over the Bible. They, they, they open up and they're like, oh, they're crying and they're doing like this, they're doing like this. They're just, they're just, so, they're kissing their Bible like this and they're just, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I wish, I wish, I wish I would do that. I wish the church would begin to embrace that again. Amen. I can't tell you how many times. Oh. Now it don't happen here. And if it does, I don't care. But listen to me. I know it don't because I know Brother George well enough to know. I can't tell you how many times I've been to churches. And you'll preach God's word for 30 minutes and they're sick of it. I've had people sit out there and go. You know what I did one time? You know what I did one time? This is no joke. Shane, this is no joke. Be careful. I, I had someone doing that. And I took this and I went. I'm not worried about time either. That's what I did. That's what I did. Now. Now listen. I realize that was probably not right. And I realize you're twisted too because you clapped about it. So I just want to confess, y'all a bunch of sinners. Amen. And we talked about that last night. But, but listen, my point, and nobody steal my watch either. My point is this. If we would only love God's Word like we're supposed to. If we would only saturate ourselves in it and put it in our heart. The Bible says this, I love this. How does a young man keep his way pure? By meditating on the Word of God. You want to stop all of that sexual immorality? Then get in God's Word. See, here's the deal. Most, of, most people don't get in His God's Word because they don't want to stop their sexual immorality. Because if you'll get in it, the Bible says you can keep your way pure. So then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that literally means God breathed. And I love that because I, I, I can picture in my mind going to, um, going to the, the bathroom where your mirror is over your sink. And as you're sitting there, you, you know, have you ever done this? You like breathed up on the mirror and it like went, oh, and you just fogged up. How many of y'all done that before? Huh? Yeah, how many of y'all done that last week? Yeah, okay, alright. Usually I get somebody on that because the adults are like, not me, I quit doing that when I was a kid. I don't do that. Well, that, that's what I think of. It's like God did this. He went, like that. And breathed His Word on the hearts of those men. And those men pinned it down on paper so that you and I could get it and we can understand who God is. And so the Bible says it's, it's God breathed. It's given to us by God Himself. And then it goes on to say this, and it's profitable. Hot dog. I don't know anybody who's got a business that doesn't want to make profit. Do y'all? I mean, everybody wants to make some money, right? So, so 
The Bible, if you'll read it, God says, it'll be good to you. It'll be good to you. You'll gain some stuff by reading God's Word. You'll profit something by reading God's Word. So what is it profitable for? He says, number one, it's profitable for doctrine. Alright? That's truth according to Scripture. Alright? Now, now never, never, never be scared of doctrine. Okay? Never be scared of doctrine. Don't say... Give me Jesus and I don't need all the doctrine. You've got to be kidding me. You can't even understand Jesus without doctrine. You have to understand the doctrine of sin. You've got to understand the doctrine of man. You've got to understand the doctrine of God. You've got to understand the doctrine of Christ to understand Jesus. Right? So doctrine's a good thing. Just look, just because we argue over it don't mean it ain't good. Doctrine is good. It's profitable to us. Also, it's good for reproof and correction. Nah, nah. That's the one that we little shaky on. Because I don't know about you, but I don't like being corrected a lot of times. My wife corrects me all the time, and I, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm like, I'm like that book by, what's his face, Kyle Alderman or whatever. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of being corrected. But the Bible corrects us and reproves us, it says, and I'm just going to be honest with you, even though I don't like it, I need it. I need correction. I need reproof. I, I, I need to be corrected, right? And so it says, it's profitable for do- doctrine, reproof, and correction. Listen to this. For instruction in righteousness. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to live a righteous life. And the Bible says, if you want to know how to live a righteous life, then get in God's Word and you'll see what it looks like to live a righteous life. You'll, and you, here's how you do that. You'll see what Jesus looked like. And he said, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The Bible says, be imitators of Christ Jesus. So it teaches us how to live righteously. Why? So that the man of God may be complete. He may be mature. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. So here's what we see. When we read Scripture, what we see is that it bears witness to the self-sufficiency of God. It teaches us that God exists in Himself and of Himself and He doesn't need anyone for Him to exist. But you have to be, you have to be careful when you begin to investigate the self-sufficiency of God because as we sang about a little bit earlier, He is mysterious. He is a mysterious God. Now He gives us His Word so that we can see who He is. But even though we can see who He is through Scripture, He's still so mysterious that we can never know all there is to know about God. Why? Because He's an eternal God. I'm convinced for all eternity, every day, we're going to get to know a little bit more about our God. And so He's mysterious. And so what that does is if we're not careful, it leads us asking some strange questions. Now, questions like this. Well, if God helps us, then who helps Him? Or, if God created us, then who created Him? Or, can God be disciplined by whoever created Him? Now listen, there's nothing wrong because at some point in time, you may ask yourself that question, especially if you're a child. And it's okay to ask those questions. But you have to remember to go back to the authority of God's Word to be able to find the answer to those questions. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in a mess. Listen to this statement. When we ask questions like this, God, and we don't get the answers from the Bible, then God is no longer our object of attention. The unknown is. 
the unknown. We'll begin to start speculating and wondering. And when you start focusing on the unknown, you'll begin to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Let me give you an example. Adam and Eve in the Scripture, when, the, when Satan came to tempt Eve, he said, uh, oh, did God really say that? God just knows that you're going to be like Him. Well, all of a sudden, the wheels began to turn and she began to focus on the unknown instead of what God had already said. You got that? She began to go, I, hey, I wonder if I really will be like God. Hey, man, I could, I could. And she starts focusing on the unknown. And we know the rest of the story. She ended up eating the fruit, gave it to her husband. He ate the fruit. And the Bible says all of mankind was separated from God because of that. All of that happened because they took their eyes off of God. They took their eyes off the Word of God. And they started to focus on that which they didn't know. Right? And so we have to be very careful. This is why it's important for us to understand and believe the self-sufficiency of God. Now let me give it to you again in Acts 17, 24-25. It says, God, who made the world and everything in it, He made that which is visible and that which is invisible. Alright? Which means He made the dog and He made the dog's bark. Alright? The visible and the invisible. He made all of that. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He, here it is, needed anything. Since He's the one who gives the life, gives all life, breath, and all things. The key word is needed. He says, as though He needed anything. Which points us to this. He's a self-sufficient God because He doesn't need anything. He is not a needy God. But listen to this. Everything in creation is needy. Everything that He created has a need. But God doesn't have a need. Which excels Him past who we are. Because we're needy people. Now why did God create us with a need? Here's why. God created everything... With a need in order for that need to ultimately be sustained by Him. By Him. Everything in creation needs another part of creation to exist. But God doesn't. See, you and I need water to exist. We need food to exist. Plants need oxygen to exist. Grass needs oxygen to exist. Everything needs something else in creation to exist. But God is so much greater than creation because He is the Creator that He doesn't need anything to exist. He is a self-sufficient, self-existent God. Now listen to me. Pay attention. Because here's where we're going to get to some application. Because I know some of you sitting out there, you're, still, you're, just, you're bored with God already. But here's some application because this is what you want to really want to know. What do I got to do? Because that's where we are. Well, what do I got to do? Well, I'm going to give you some things that are applicable to your life. Alright? So how does the self-sufficiency of God affect us personally and practically? Number one. The self-sufficiency of God reminds us of why we must only promote His kingdom. Because it's the only kingdom that will be sustained. You see that? You see how we did that? We went straight to the self-sufficiency of God and how He doesn't need anything. But you and I are needy people. And what that does is it should point us to the fact that, look, I can't be promoting my, my kingdom because my, my kingdom's going to pass away. My kingdom's not going to last. 
Someday you're going you, someday you're going to die. And and listen, in a lot of cases, the stuff you left to those you love when you when you die, it's the it's the listen, it's the future junkyards and graveyards. It's just a fact. Things rust, things are eaten, things are stolen, things are sold. And they just get passed on down the line, down the line, down the line. And eventually God's going to come and call it all quits. And the only thing that's going to be left is the kingdom things. And so the self-sufficiency of God should remind us to only promote His kingdom and not our kingdom. You know why a lot of churches are dying? Because they're promoting their kingdom instead of His kingdom. See, if they get busy promoting His kingdom instead of their kingdom, they realize His kingdom's the only one that's going to last. And so we should jump on board and just do what God wants us to do because it's the only thing that's going to last in the end. The Bible says this, that your works and your, your things that you've done, they're going to be evaluated by fire. And those things that you've done according to the flesh, they're going to burn away. But those things that you've done according to your faith in the gospel of Jesus that were really Jesus' things, those things are going to last. And so what that should tell you is that as you live your life, you should think of the sovereignty and the self-sufficiency of God every day of your life. And you should do everything within your power to promote the kingdom of God. Because it's the only one that's going to last. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. I love that. Oh, it cannot be shaken. How many of you have ever had your kingdom rocked? Death tragedy, suffering, things like that, and you've just had your kingdom rocked. But the Bible says the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. Let me tell you what that means. It means it cannot be moved by sin or evil. God is still God. He'll always be God. And His children will always be His. And His stuff will always be His stuff. Nothing. No sin. No, look at me. No devil in hell can shake the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, Every devil in hell has been crushed by the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? So we, that's the first thing. It should remind us not to promote our kingdom. In other words, what that means is this. You should hold everything in a loose grip, with a loose grip. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Okay, let me give you an example. Alright? Let's say you're a Sunday school teacher. Alright? Everybody look, listen to me now. Let's just say you're a Sunday school teacher. And the vision of the church is moving in another direction. And they're just going in another direction. And you're not willing to meet that direction. Or you're not doing your job as a Sunday school teacher. Okay? Then what that means is that you're busy building your kingdom and you need to let that go. You need to say, preacher, look, if you got somebody better for the job, if you got somebody that's more in line with where you're headed... Because I know I'm struggling with that. So if you got somebody going where you're headed and all of that, you want listen. I'm, I I want to teach, but I realize that I'm not on board, and so I'm just going to kind of back up. I'm not going to quit going to church here. Still love church, and I love Jesus. That's not it at all. But I'm willing to let it go so that the kingdom of God can be manifested in His place. Boy, isn't that a novel approach, huh? Too bad it don't happen. Too bad it don't happen very much. You know why? Because we're building our kingdom. I've seen, I've seen preachers. I've seen preachers stand in the pulpit. I, well, I'll, I'll just I'll throw you an example from myself out. I, I love evangelism. Eight years been doing it, but still had to hold it with a loose grip. So when God says I want you to go pastor a church, I had to say okay. 
See, you've got to hold it all with a loose grip. Why? Because you're not building your kingdom, you're building His. And if He says, hey, I've got a new direction for you, you've got to be willing to let go of this and say, okay, okay. Uh, let me give you another example. Another example. I'm going to get down here like this. We're going to pep talk for a minute. I know some churches that would rather have the doors rust off the hinges than do something new to reach some young people. They'd rather that sucker die and be bulldozed over and nobody have church there than to get them bunch of young folks up in there. You know what they're doing? They're building their kingdom instead of his kingdom. Here's what they're doing. They're holding it. Tight as they can hold it. Hey, look, they got, they're holding it, right, their positions right here. They got that hand around them. And they, they called a friend who's doing the same. And they said, put a chain and a padlock around it. This is mine. And you know what? One day God's going to come raining in on that parade. God's going to come crashing in on that parade. And most of the time the way it happens is death, 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 death. There's six people left. They can't pay the bills. They shut the doors instead of trying to build God's kingdom 30 years ago. Now I'm not trying to be ugly, but I'm being factual with you. We've got to be willing to let it go. If God says let it go. Right? Amen. Right now, I don't hurt somebody's feelings. But that's all right. The truth hurts. Second practical application. Now, this is a good one. So, I'm going to get all happy, clappy on you, all right? So, pay close attention, all right? Because all of that was to get to this. So, I want you to pay attention. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, he's about to get good up in here. About to get good up in here, all right? If it hadn't been good already, which has been good to me, but I don't know about you, but it's been good to me. All right? Here it is. The second reason practically and personally affects our lives is this. The self-sufficiency of God should remind us to only promote His kingdom. But secondly, it should remind us of our insufficiencies. Alright? When we look at Him and we realize He's a God who has absolutely no needs whatsoever, then that should cause us to look at our lives because we're, we're glorifying Him going, wow, He's such a great God and He doesn't need anything. And then we look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm such a needy person. I need a lot of stuff. I need people to pat me on the back. I need this. I need that. I need this. I need accolades here. I need that. I need that. Man, I'm such a wicked person. And so what that does, when we see that He doesn't need anything, it shows us how needy we are, and it points us to our greatest need in the world. Guess what that is? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Our greatest need in the world is forgiveness. We need to be forgiven. So listen to me. Watch me now. The self-sufficiency of God shows us He don't need nothing. And then it shows us we do need something. And that something that we need is forgiveness. And guess where that leads us? Bam! Baby, right to the cross. It leads us right to the cross. Because the cross is where we receive forgiveness of our sins. The cross is the place where Jesus bled and died to offer us forgiveness. So, I'm convinced every attribute stops at the cross or leads us to the cross. But certainly the self-sufficiency of God leads us to the cross. Now listen to me. God, listen to me now. God who does not need us. You got that? Everybody got that? Y'all with me? Say amen. He don't need you. For nothing. He don't need me. As bad as I think that He might, He does not need me. He doesn't need me. So God, who does not need us, pay attention, proved by His own good pleasure. 
that He wanted us. When He crucified His Son in order to redeem us. The God who doesn't need you for nothing wanted you. What a glorious God. To think that Brother George, he don't need me to preach. But he looked down from heaven before the foundations of the world. And he said, Casey Johnson is going to be one of my spokesmen. He didn't need that. But he wanted me. He wanted me. Listen to this. There are two billion stars in our galaxy. The Milky Way. The Milky Way is just one of billions of galaxies. And the God who created all of that says, Randy, I want you. I want you. Psalm 104, 1-3 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul. I love that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's flip it around. O my soul. Bless the Lord. See, when you start thinking about that like that, you go, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then you go, Oh, my soul. He's so good. Bless the Lord. And then he goes on to say this, You are clothed. You are very great, my God. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment. That's how big He is. You stretched out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of His upper chambers in the waters who makes the clouds His chariot who walks on the wings of the wind. The God who is that big wants us. See, there's some of y'all out here in this place tonight and you... you listen... You feel as though nobody in the world wants you. Well, I say this to you. The God who made the world wants you. Nobody else may not want you, but the God who created the world, He certainly does. And He proved it. He proved that He wanted you when He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross so that He could redeem you. So, so listen closely. The cross of Jesus Christ. Can you picture that in your mind? The blood of Christ falling all over the place. He's been beaten within an inch of His life. He's nailed to the cross for sins He didn't commit. He's nailed to the cross for your lying, your cheating, your stealing, all that. Listen to this. The cross of Jesus Christ is the artwork of a God who needs no one, yet has a passionate desire for everyone. That's what the cross is. That's God saying to us, I don't need you, but I love you enough to want you. So I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ to die so that I could have you. He wants to have you tonight. He wants to have all of you tonight. You say, I'm too bad. I'm too bad. I've done too much stuff now. That's what He came to die for. For all your badness. All your stuff. He didn't come to die for all your goodness. Because you don't have any goodness. He came to die for your badness. He came to redeem you of the sin that is within you. And so to sum it all up, listen to me. The self-sufficiency of God leads us to the cross, walks us through an empty tomb, and escorts us to a heavenly kingdom. Here's the greatest question for us tonight. Will we choose to want Him back? See, because He wants you whether you want Him to or not. You say, I don't want God to want me. I'm mad at Him. I don't want Him to want me. Too bad. He wants you anyway. Because He loves you anyway. question is, will you want Him back tonight? See, I'm convinced that there are truly people that are under the sound of my voice tonight who if you were to step off into eternity right now, you would step off into a 
bottomless pit of eternal hell. And God is saying before you do, I just want you to know, I want you to be mine. I want you to be mine. All you have to do is want me back and give yourself to me. I'll take you just like you are and I'll clean you up. I'll clean you up, not with a washcloth and some water, but I'll clean you up by the precious blood of my Son, Jesus. Will you want Him back? I pray tonight that we'll all want a God who doesn't need us at all. Let's be true to who we are. And let's be true to who He is tonight. And let's be obedient to want Him back. Amen? Let's pray tonight. Father, thank You so much. Lord, for loving us, for caring for us. God, we are all wicked to the core. We know that. Scripture teaches us that. But Lord, tonight you would even through your self-sufficiency and your greatness say, I want you. I want you to be mine. So God, I pray tonight that we would want you back. I pray, Lord, for those who are lost, that they would want You back. They would choose to turn from themselves and trust in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. God, for those who are believers already, I pray, dear Jesus, that they would want You more tonight. So, God, let us humble ourselves before our God, our self-sufficient, self-existent, eternal God, who doesn't need any of us, but yet displays His want for us through His Son, Jesus, who died for us. So God, tonight we pray that You would have Your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to listen to me. If you're here tonight and you say, Brother Casey, I want to be saved. I want Jesus. I want Him back tonight. I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. And I want you to listen to me right now. I just want you to slip up from your seat. I want you to come right down here right now. If you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, Brother Casey, I'm tired of running from the cross. I'm tired of running from Christ. I want to repent of my sins. Trust in Christ right now and let Him save me. I want Him back tonight. So if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, Brother George is going to be right here. You just slip up from your seat and you come to Brother George and say, I want to give my life to Christ. The rest of you. How many of you in your heart of hearts right now? You say, I want God more. I want Him more. I want Him more. I know He wanted me even though He didn't need me. And tonight I want Him more than I did yesterday. I want Him more tonight. How many of you would say that tonight? Well, listen to me. The altars are screaming your name tonight for you to come and say, God, I want You more. I want to know You more. I want to know You more today than I did yesterday. I want to know Your Word that I might see You for who You are. I want to be reminded of Your self-sufficiency so that I might be led back to the cross and fight from there. And so tonight, I'm just asking You to come and want God more than You did yesterday. More than You did five minutes ago. Ask God to give you a heart to want Him more. So as they play and sing for us, the altars are open. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. If you need to come to the altars, if you need to be saved, Brother George is here. Maybe you need prayer. I don't know. Just come and want God with all you've got. And know that He doesn't need you, but He wants you tonight. Amen. You come.